0: How is this impacting people of color within our organization? Because it could be something that we don't even realize it we're, because we're like fish swimming in water. We, we don't realize the, the impact that the culture is having on people.
1: One other thing that we do with our leadership team is to hold up the data, and it's with regard to every talent decision that we make. So it's who are we hiring? Who are we promoting? Who is getting recognition? What's our turnover like? And when we see patterns and trends that are higher than expected for persons of color, we talk about that now. And that's been kind of embedded in the fabric of how we do work now.
2: In today's episode of Redefining Work, I am joined by Diana Langenberg, VP for Talent and Human Resources, and Debbie Green, Director of Talent Development and DEI for the W.K. Kellogg Foundation. We are going to discuss a recent open source toolkit that they released, the HR Toolkit for Racial Equity, and talk about how that toolkit came to be, why they chose to open source it. And recommendations for HR practitioners to maintain and progress and continue DEIB efforts in the current environment that we're in and facing, let's be honest, some headwinds that we're going to have to overcome to ensure we continue prioritizing this work. And we'll be right back with that conversation right now.
3: All right, let's say you're a company looking for a strategic partnership to help you transform your people operations. You know, you've got dozens of options out there, but here's why Amplify is the best one. Amplify consults and advises on what it takes to build modern people teams from the kickoff to weekly update meetings, to interview coordination and every step in between. This helps them clearly understand your work style, culture and needs so they can be a deeply informed advisor throughout the engagement. And they understand the complexity and profile of a modern people executive because they're embedded in that world founder Lars Schmidt has spent over 20 years working alongside chief human resources officers, building next-generation HR programs, and working with companies like Forbes and Fast Company. These days, with everything moving at lightning speed, nothing is more important than clarity and simplicity. Cut through all the noise with Amplify.
2: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Redefining Work podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt. And if you know me, you know that I'm a big fan of open source resources and tools. And when the tool that we're going to be talking about today came my way, I was just impressed with how it came together and I wanted to learn more. And so I'm really excited today to be joined by Diana Langenberg. She is the VP for Talent and Human Resources at the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, as well as Debbie Green. She is the Director of Talent Development and DEI. And I'll include a link to the resources in the show notes for the podcast, but they recently open sourced an HR toolkit for racial equity. And we're going to spend some time uh, learning more about it, how it came together uh, and how practitioners out there can use it. So uh, Diana, Debbie, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Um, Diane. I'd love to open with you if you wanted to start with uh, an introduction for the audience and how would you like them to know you?
1: Great. Thanks, Lars. Uh, First, I want to thank you for this opportunity to talk. Uh, What an amazing platform that you've created, not only this Future of Work series, but also your vision for HR open source, uh, employer branding, and and so forth, so you can count Debbie and I among your fans. Uh, I am Diana Langenberg, and I am a mom to my beautiful daughter, Lindsay, and son-in-law, Mark, and my two wonderful granddogs. Uh, who live in Rhode Island. I was born and raised in Michigan with a short stint in Texas as well. Uh, And I joined the Kellogg Foundation 30 years ago. And it feels like a break, a walk in the park. And I would like to share a little bit around my why for 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 this work and my learnings over the years. I joined the foundation in the early 90s. I did not know anything about uh, white privilege or my place. I had not heard of it. And I spent most of my career kind of unlearning a lot of the paradigms that I learned uh, growing up. And it has been such an opportunity. I've apprenticed most every role that I've had. And it has been a journey every day. And I'm just delighted to talk about not only my personal journey, but what we've learned at the Kellogg Foundation uh, expressed in this toolkit and beyond. Debbie and I have worked together for 30 years and we can finish each other's sentences. She's been uh, deployed to this project for the last three three years or so. And I'll turn it to Debbie to talk about that next, introduce herself.
0: Thanks, Diana. Hi, I'm Debbie Green. And I have been with the foundation for 34 years and have been in talent and human resources for that entire time period. So I've seen HR move from more the personnel transactional uh, team to one that's really involved uh, with all aspects of our organizational journey. And as Diana said, we've we've worked together on the foundation's journey, and we do work on racial equity both internally as well as externally through our program efforts. And I know when I first started on my own journey, I mean, we're two, two white women. <laughs> and uh, so we both have had a long Journey, um, going from not really knowing or understanding anything about racial equity to now being immersed in that work and helping share our story with with others. So, as Diana said, we're thrilled to be here.
2: Yeah, you know, one thing I appreciate about uh, kind of how both of you um, commented on this work is that you you started this work with your own education and and your own learning, and and you know, Diana, to your point, unlearning because I think that's such an important part for. Practitioners, and again, the field of HR in the United States, at least, is sixty-seven percent white, and so this work is really we are the foundation to this work, and it starts with self-education so that we can understand uh, a lot of the concepts um, that you uh, expand on in in the toolkit itself. So I just appreciate that kind of opening and framing. Um, I imagine you know many uh, the listeners and amplifiers out there are you know familiar with the. W.K. Kellogg Corporation, but perhaps not the foundation. And so I would love to just, uh, you know, Diane, if you can take a minute, just give us an overview of the foundation um, with a bit of kind of contextual understanding in terms of like uh, rough numbers, you know, headcount, locations, things like that, just to help uh, the audience kind of frame the environment you're both working in.
1: Sure, thanks. Uh, We were founded by uh, breakfast and cereal uh, innovator and entrepreneur Will Keith Kellogg in 1930. And our Kellogg Foundation is dedicated to supporting thriving children, working families and equitable communities. We are about 220 employees and we have offices in uh, Michigan, headquartered in Battle Creek, Michigan, also in Detroit and Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, Jackson, Mississippi, Albuquerque, New Mexico, New Orleans, Louisiana, and Chiapas in the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico, as well as Central and South Haiti. Uh, we have a deep everything that we do embedded with all of the foundation's work is a, a commitment to advancing racial equity and racial healing, developing our leaders and engaging communities in solving their own problems. We support the work throughout the U.S. and with our sovereign tribes uh, in Mexico and Haiti a bit about the kellogg foundation there and you were speaking a moment ago about uh learning and unlearning and racial healing is such an important part of the kellogg foundation's work in that regard
2: yeah well let's i'd love to jump right into the toolkit um and perhaps we can start obviously it sounds like you know the organization and the foundation has been committed to this work and as a foundation committed to this work like there are certain things that you will do internally there's certain things that you will do externally and i think a lot of companies from an internal perspective, um, the programs, the the initiatives that they lead tend to be, you know, obviously they're they're for an internal audience, they're internal, they're tied to internal objectives and goals. Um, but we don't often see these types of initiatives open sourced publicly um, and externally. And so, I'd love to just spend a minute, uh, you know, really kind of open this up to both of you on the origin story of the the toolkit itself, particularly kind of how it came to be and what the process was for deciding, hey, you know what, this is something that we should make public for uh, all practitioners to, to benefit from.
0: Yeah, the, the HR toolkit really was, it's a summary of the tools that we've developed and used, the lessons that we've learned, um, and, and how we've learned those lessons. And um, it's been a decades-long journey for us. Internally, and over the years, we've had many organizations contact us to find out, how did you do it? So we, we have a one publication journey that this toolkit complements. So our one publication is the broader story of the foundation's racial equity, diversity and inclusion efforts. But it's more the high level. It, it wasn't really the how-to So we said, well, we're willing to share all of these resources that that we've created and that have helped us along our journey. And so we were getting these requests and trying to send things piecemeal. And it's been our dream for a number of years to be able to say, here's a nice little package that, that we can share with you that tells our whole story and all the tools that we've used so that people don't have to reinvent the wheel. So that's really the, how we ended up with this toolkit as a, a practical how-to guide for organizations to use in multiple areas um, of HR function.
2: Yeah, I'm curious. From a timing perspective, uh, you mentioned this is something that's kind of been coming together for a decade. Um, why now? Was, it, was there, was there a, a, a kind of intentionality around releasing the toolkit kind of in this moment in time?
0: I don't think our timing was intentional I know there's a lot of things going on right now with you know the affirmative action decision uh, coming down and a lot of organizations had had ramped up their dei efforts after George Floyd so there it's been in the news a lot and it's it's I know that it's been top of mind for a lot of HR folks um, we see the racial equity as as a journey right it's not It's not a point in time. There's no silver bullet. Uh, It is a journey. And so I think that's what we're trying to reinforce through this toolkit is that there's always something you can do. There's always uh, an area of HR that you can choose to, to focus on. There's no perfect place to start. Um, It's interesting. We were were having a conversation the other day with a a corporate DEI leader. And one of the things he said was the best way to start your DEI journey is to start your DEI journey. (laughs) So every organization has to figure that out. Where where is the right place to start? Do you start with one initiative? Do you try to implement multiple initiatives uh, at any given time? So every organization has to take these tools and these resources and figure out what's the best way for them to move forward. And hopefully these tools will help them do that.
2: Yeah. And I'm curious, um, you know, Diana, are there particular, like when you look across the toolkit itself and perhaps you look internally either within the programs that have been most impactful at the foundation or impactful in the companies that you've Worked with, but what you know, obviously, for companies that are truly committed to this work, you know, impact is such an important uh, driver of of where and how they invest their time and their their budget. And so, you know, in in a world particularly mentioned, kind of coming after the the murder of George Floyd, where I think a lot of companies did a lot of optical work in this space and performative work in this space, but they weren't necessarily really focused on how will this actually have an impact in the organization? It was more of how do we tell the world that we're doing something, you know? And so it just, it, those efforts obviously fell flat. So, it, you know, everything kind of coming back to impact, when you think about the, the toolkit or practices that you've seen be successful, um, what do those tend to be? What, what stands out to you?
1: You know, it's interesting, the definition of success itself, right? And so part of this process is trying, experiencing, failing, learning, reflecting. And so we share about our failures as much as we share about our successes because we think what one size doesn't fit all and it's different for everyone, both individually and by organization. And so for the Kellogg Foundation, we started on the inside. Uh, we started actually, we started programming externally for decades ahead, programming with uh, racial equity and equity in mind. And we started then with hiring internally and we increased our uh, our staff representation, our uh, philosophy and values indicate that we want to reflect the communities in which we serve. And so we recognized a uh, tremendous growth over time in both uh, diverse workforce representation as well as our board of trustees. And from there, we looked at development and awareness, and we had uh, lots of learnings there. We can break that down and talk about it. I think one of the most successful things that we did to hold ourselves accountable was to embed uh, racial equity into our performance management system. And so by having every employee be responsible for a learning goal, and then as we got more into it, an application of learning to their work and to their job, we spent a lot of time uh, talking about that way, embedding it across the entire organization.
2: Yeah. And I'm curious, like, how did the, the toolkit itself come to be in terms of, uh, the constituents that were involved in developing the toolkit and the guide themselves? Like, how did you, how did you tap into, um, underrepresented employees, uh, and populations within the foundation to ensure that those perspectives, uh, were reflected in in the output of the work?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, Lars. And one of the things that we use at the foundation is, is human centered design principles. And so, one example of that from the toolkit, one of the very first examples is around developing standards, principles, and approaches for our racial equity work. And we said, we can't just come down from on high and say, this is what it's going to be. We knew that we were going to have to work with our staff, uh, involve them in, in creating those standards. And we once we had all of their feedback, then we shared it back with employees to say, is this, does this sound right to you? Does this feel right to you? before we implemented anything. Um, And that's the approach that we try to take to all the work that we do, because we know that you can't just say it and it's, then it's going to be employees really have to be invested in it. And it has to be something that works for everyone and that everyone feels like they've had a voice in, in creating those. So we've, we've done that, I think in almost every, Uh, tool that we've created both both with our internal staff as well as our external partners as well. The Amplify community has had such a profound impact on me. This work can be incredibly lonely and the caliber of humans that I have met in this group is like nothing I've experienced before.
3: I can't express how much the community supports one another, how safe I feel sharing about the challenges that I have in the role. It is truly the safest community I've ever been a part of to share and learn from other people, practitioners and professionals.
1: One of the things I love so much about the Amplify community is having the opportunity to connect with a global group of peers where we have the opportunity to come together, collaborate, innovate, most importantly, problem solve, and be able to just hold space for one another to support each other in the work that we're really pouring a lot of care and effort and energy into each and every week.
2: I want to thank Amplify Academy community members, Chloe Sesta Jacobs, Noah Warder, and Balbina Knight for sharing their experiences. The Amplify Academy was built to help today's HR practitioners build the learning agility and network equity needed to thrive in today's world of work. Through our AI learning lab with over 500 resources, our global Slack community, and our leadership development cohorts, you'll build the capabilities and connections to drive your career forward. Ready to invest in yourself? Learn more at amplifytalent.com/academy. Now, back to the show. And course and Diana, maybe you have a perspective on this, but um, you know this work, the success uh, or lack thereof in some cases of this work, um, often ties back to leadership, adoption, um, role modeling, support. Um, how how do you recommend? I mean, if there's HR practitioners out there that you know maybe they're watching this conversation, perhaps they're a CPO, perhaps they're a manager, but they're just passionate about this work. And they, they really want to ensure that their leadership team is, um, you know, supportive and understands their role in making this successful. Do you, do you have any advice for leaders there that are really trying to um, get their leadership team to support the journey of this work? Because I I do also like that you called out that this is a journey, like the work of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging isn't Um, you never get there. It's never, you're never complete. You're never done. It is something that you need to be committed to for the long haul. And you're continuing to learn and iterate and refine and make mistakes and learn from them and move forward. So knowing that this is kind of an ongoing commit with no efficient finish line, how can we get leaders within our organizations supportive of these initiatives? Yeah, that's a great question, Lars. And
1: one of the tools that the Kellogg Foundation has developed is the uh, business case for racial equity, and it's performed uh, across the country in different locations. And so this work is for everyone, whether it's board or leadership or staff. And so uh, creating that authorizing environment is really important to make sure you have that support. And we do that through uh, holding up truth to our leadership team and sharing examples of where it is holding us back. And we collect data from our staff and we uh, talk around what that means. We were just in a meeting uh, the other day and um, we were hearing themes about the team uh, that sounded to me like a white dominant male culture or, or corporate U.S. corporate culture, as you were, and really calling that and talking. What does that look like? It looks like overly strict deadlines or perfectionism or... Um, What else, Debbie? Uh, uh,
0: Worship of the written word. Mm -hmm. Um, there's, There's all kinds of ways that white dominant culture shows up in organizations. And I think we just have to keep our minds open to looking at that and being willing to look at that to say, how is this impacting people of color within our organization? Because it could be something that we don't even realize it. We're, because we're like fish swimming in water, we, we don't realize the, the impact that the culture is having on people. And so just for, for org- I think my advice would be for organizations to have an open mind about that, to talk about it intentionally, and to say, how can we make changes so that everybody in our organization can thrive? One other thing that we do with our leadership team is to hold up the data
1: and it's re- with regard to every talent decision that we make. So it's who are we hiring? Who are we promoting? Who is getting recognition? What's our turnover like? And when we see patterns and trends that are higher than expected for persons of color, we talk about that now. And that's been kind of embedded in the fabric of how we do work now. Super important and a great way to sell to your leaders
2: what's really happening. Yeah. I mean, that the data is so important. And I think, um, you know, it's interesting we, we, when you're doing this work and I do realize that, that we're holding this conversation as three white people with all the privilege that comes with that. And so I, I feel like it would you know, have to acknowledge that for a moment, but I think it is important because this comment I'm about to make is, is also for our you know white audience who are watching and listening right now. And I think what's, what's really important is, you know, the, the terminology And the, and the, the, the verbiage of this work, the terms that we use, the words that we use, they, they really, they do matter. And if we can take, I I think in the current discourse, especially in the United States where everybody is so polarized and, you know, we'll, we'll get into the Supreme court ruling in a moment, but we're an environment where this notion of, um, you know, privilege or, or, you know, white fragility or or terms like that. I think people, some people who are not doing this work, they bristle when they, they hear that and, and they bristle because they don't understand the word. They don't understand the definition of what it really means. And they there, so in their mind, it's a loaded term that is used to diminish them when that's not actually what it is. If you spend the time to really understand it. And so I, I appreciate you framing Having the open mind to be able to to really kind of understand and like when you when you when people meet resistance uh, right and again those there's lots of resistance to DEIB programs the obviously the Supreme Court ruling some of the recent uh, legislation in Florida um, in Texas clearly you know diminishing some of the the rights and even trying to rewrite history uh, a bit. How do you recommend kind of overcoming that, right? So when you're trying to roll out programs, let's say you're trying to, you know, you have this toolkit in your hand and you're trying to implement some of these programs and you may get directors, VPs, even officers pushing back for some of those reasons. How do you tend to coach, you know, not just HR leaders, but leaders in general in kind of overcoming some of that, you know, just, uh, you know, legacy, perhaps mindset or lack of openness to understanding things from a different perspective.
1: Couple of tools come to mind, Lars. One that uh, we have used extensively is the IDI or Intercultural Development Inventory. And uh, everyone at the foundation takes that upon joining the foundation, including our board of trustees. And it's a tool to measure cultural competency. And uh, you're assigned a coach that reviews the uh, results with you confidentially. And uh, part of our, our, way of operating also is that we accept everyone where they are. We're all along our journeys. It is personal. It is independent, but it's also collective. And we looked at that collectively for the Kellogg Foundation and uh, learned that we were uh, in this phase where we were denying difference. And if you were raised like I was, it was uh, we don't see color. It's it's uh, not rude. It's rude to talk about that shush. And so really overcoming those paradigms that folks grew up with without shaming them is an important part. Another part of acknowledging everyone who's in the room is uh, healing circles. And we've done that internally, externally with my peers in philanthropy and HR, uh, in conferences, so it can be used anywhere. And what listening circles and healing circles are about are really acknowledging another's uh, experience at the deepest level and finding that common ground and beginning to heal and sitting with it. And for white people, that often means uh, feeling uncomfortable and having some discomfort. And we have a uh, white action and learning group that does just that to come together and talk about uh, how might we use our privilege for good? How might we when, know when to use it and when to be quiet and that type of thing. So all kinds of opportunity there, a couple of tools that we use.
2: Yeah, I know. I appreciate that that context. That's helpful. And again, the, the action orientation of the toolkit itself uh, is one of the things that I really liked about it because I think um, you know, we will never have enough resources to support this work, and also doing it in a very kind of clear and concise way as a practitioner who maybe, you know, at different stages, maybe even the early stages of that journey, as you mentioned, um, you know, they're still gonna have a lot of takeaways from it. Um, what has been the reaction? Right? It was it, it's been released. It's uh, it's out in the wild, as they say. Uh, what has been the response from uh, you know not just the HR community but the the business community at large?
0: Yeah. So it's, it's only been out there for a couple of weeks. Uh, We're very excited uh, that we finally released it, but so far just in that first two weeks, we've had hundreds of downloads um, from, from our website. We've also had some sharing on LinkedIn and we've received nothing but support and enthusiasm uh, to, to the toolkit and a lot of folks wanting to, to learn more. And we're hoping that, that people will, also share their own stories and their tools. We're, we're hoping it'll inspire others to do that. um, because every organization is different and we can all learn from each other.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the timing of this being released and not timing in terms of like, it's been out for a couple of weeks, but just kind of this moment in time for HR, you know, we, we've been making this long kind of journey from, um, you know, proprietary practices towards open source. And I think what is great about this moment in time for the advancement of the field of HR is that we're seeing more and more resources like this come into the market. So the barriers to be able to access helpful resources and information across a range of topics is less and less. So I I think that that, you know, I I applaud any types of open source projects like this that I see released. Um, And Diane, I wanna come back to you with kind of the last question is you, as you think about, the key takeaways. And again, uh, I'll include a link to the full toolkit in the show notes. Um, but what do you hope are the key takeaways? Like if you, when you envision this kind of, you know, being broadly consumed, uh, in the marketplace, so to speak, what, what do you, what do you hope are the, you know, two, three, four key things that people take away from using the toolkit?
1: I think that uh, a key takeaway is that this work is for everybody, so regardless of whether you're in the human resources or you have uh, elsewhere in the organization or you're in human resources and you want to share it with others, uh, it's for everyone. It's also it's personal. It involves both the head and the heart, and to be truly successful and make the difference in your organization, you need both. Uh, so I'm, I urge and embrace uh, urge folks to embrace that part of the learning, and of course, you need to adapt it to your own context when doing so. There's both people work and systems work to it, and then finally, uh, like anything in life worth pursuing, it takes practice and failure and learning and sharing and innovated innovating, and that's why it's such an important uh, decision for us to make it open source so that we can continue to learn and grow.
2: Well, Debbie, last question to you. Uh, and the important question, where can listeners find the toolkit? You mentioned the download. Where can where can they uh, access it uh, beyond the show notes of the episode?
0: Yeah, multiple ways. So they can visit the WKKF.org and look under our resources. Uh, our Every Child Thrives uh, site also has the toolkit And our ExpandingEquity.com website, which is an initiative of the foundation where we're working with, we've worked with 100 for-profit companies in 10 different industries who are trying to transform their organizations into more equitable workplaces. And they can also find it on on that ExpandingEquity.com website. So multiple ways to access it.
2: Multiple ways. Okay. Well, I'm glad it's, it's accessible. I will help shine the light on uh, those destinations and I will host it in a few uh, open source resources as well. So um, Diana, Debbie, thanks so much for making the time to come on the podcast, share your work, give us an inside look at the HR toolkit for racial equity. And uh, again, just hat tip to both of you for making this open source uh, and the open resource available for all of us to benefit and learn from.
0: Thank you. Thank you
2: for the opportunity
0: to
2: share. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Redefining Work. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, and more, be sure to check out amplifytalent.com slash podcast. And if you dig this podcast, I strongly encourage you to share it with your CEO, leadership team, and friends to help others discover it. And if you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on Spotify or Apple or wherever your preferred podcast delivery vehicle is. We'll see you next episode.